Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning again. Let me get this straight. We are looking at Silent Night, Holy Night. That's the song the kids sang, and uh, that's the song that we're going to look at today. Imagine that uh, the year is 1818, and uh, you are the pastor, or you serve in a church in, in the Austrian Alps. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's just that time of the year where everybody's excited. And, of course, in 1818 and 1800s, it was the pipe organ, right? I mean, that was everything. And so, here in this church, they're preparing for a Christmas Eve service, the midnight service, and uh, everybody is really excited, but all of a sudden, Joseph Moore, who was the uh, choir director uh, there, found out that the beautiful organ was broken. Here is they planned, they had music, they had all kind of things set for this beautiful Christmas Eve, and there is no organ. Joseph Moore was distraught. Everybody was distraught. How are we going to do this service? How are we going to have this wonderful celebration uh, without an organ, and all of a sudden, Joseph Moore had this phrase run through his mind, silent night, holy night. All this, you know, er- everything is right, everything's okay, but it really wasn't. But he had this, you ever been there? Some of you are like that at Christmas time right now. Everything is not so bright. And it wasn't for Joseph at that moment, yet this phrase kept running through his mind, and he got through his thoughts, and he got this, he got this idea. He said, let me take this to the organist. Well, the organist Franz Gruber, very well-known organist, he goes to Franz and he says, I've, been, I've just been saying this over and over. So Franz sits down and he comes up, silent night. He comes up with the melody there in the moment. And history tells us that Franz didn't even think it was that great of a song. You know, he's like, you know. So Joseph Moore goes back and grabs his beloved guitar, which was very unusual in 1818 to play a guitar in church. And uh, he grabbed his guitar took the tune that Franz Gruber came up with. And that night, Christmas Eve, December the 24th in 1818, a duet sang that song for the very first time in an Austrian church named St. Nicholas. Well, here's, here's the story. This is such a great story because what happened is the organ repair guy showed up. So he's there working on the organ, and he hears Franz, and he hears Joseph, and the different people in the church talking about what happened And then singing the song, the melody, as they were in the church. So the organ repair guy writes it down. He writes the words down. He remembers the tune, and they write it down for him. And the next church that he went to in the Alps, in the Austrian Alps, he said, Hey, I heard this song. I heard this song across the way. And he gave them the music and sang it for them, and this church picked it up. And then he moved on to the next church, and the same thing happened. And pretty soon, people were humming this tune. This is 1818, 1819, moving along now. And then something kind of like the sound of music happened. Instead of the Von Trapp family, it was the Strasser family. Strasser family had about three or four daughters and one son, and they had a singing group, and they owned a glove company. <laughs> and the dad and mom wanted to promote their gloves, so they had their kids out front to sing songs to get people to come in their business, right? Well, they heard this silent night song, and they said, oh, that would be beautiful, sung by kids. And so they took it from their church, which had been given to it by an organ repair man, and then they sang it in front of their shop, and 
The kids got so well known, the Strasser kids did, that they finally sang for the Queen of Austria. And boy, then it was out. The song was out. Isn't that a fantastic song? I mean, that's the way it makes its way to us. Sometimes in the most humbling uh, situations and also desperate situations where things aren't, they don't seem so right and so bright and yet something wonderful all these years later, now we're singing this song because of a broken organ. And because of a guy who was stressing over it. But this, this, just, this song begins to flow through his mind and heart. So we're going to take a look at it. And our scripture also is going to be over in Galatians. And the fourth chapter, if you've got your Bible or your app, it's also going to be up on the screens for you. And, uh, and we'll read it together. And then we're going to launch into this. Um, so let's do that. Let's just read this. Here we go. Now, let me set this up first. Galatians, a letter Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians who were kind of getting sidetracked. They were actually getting pulled back into some legalism and away from the freedom and the love that's in Christ and being pulled back into what was called the Judaizers, back to the law, to circumcision. And so Paul's writing this letter to remind them of the great freedom they have in Jesus and and how God has come to liberate people, not put them back in bondage. And so keep that kind of, that's a very general description, but I, I, we can't read this without at least setting it up a little bit. So, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, The Spirit who calls out. Can we say this together? Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child should be son. And since you are his child, son's better there too. God has made you also an heir. Father, we ask for you to bless your word this morning. Open it up to us. Help us understand it. Help us be able to celebrate in this wonderful season. And to be able to to better understand what you've done in the coming of your son. So help me this morning in my weakness, Lord. Give me the gift of teaching uh, that what you want to be heard, uh, be taken deeply into the hearts of all of us, Lord, and whatever doesn't need to be, or just let it drop, Lord. Let it drop by the wayside. So Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come in Jesus' name. Amen. You've got to fill in on the back side of your handout if you want to flip over and follow along with me this morning as we look at this scripture. And uh, your first fill-in is this. The silence of God has ended. The silence of God has ended. Notice, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Last week I mentioned to you that between Malachi and the Old Testament, and when we hear the first words from Gabriel, the angel, it had been 400 years. We have no... You know, we don't have any record of God speaking. Uh, of course, he was doing things, and, and all, he always is doing things. But we have no record scripturally of him speaking to his people. And then after 400 years, the first words out of the angel's mouth in announcing the coming of Christ is, Fear not, or be not afraid. That's a pretty good word after you haven't uh, kind of literally heard from anyone in a long time. And then suddenly they show up to speak to you. <laughs> And, and they go, don't fear, it's okay, everything's all right. You know, I know you're hearing from me now, but everything is good. And matter of fact, the timing of God is impeccable. The timing of God, it, and this is me thinking about this, but when I read this in Galatians 4, I thought about that 
period of silence being like the time when a parent is wanting to communicate with those that they love so much, but the only thing that has come between them is silence, maybe because of behavior of the child or it's just been a long time of silence. And, and so the father begins to think or the mom begins to think and says, how can I communicate? How can I, you know, how can I get to them? And so the silence actually kind of is, is like a megaphone through history. Is the, the longer it, it goes, the more intense it's going to be when God finally does speak. In other words, if God is holding back that much, then when he does speak, it's really going to be something. And so, indeed, it was really something. And that is that the silence of God had ended with the birth of his son, the coming of his son. And uh, so, God is still speaking, as we're going to see. But this was monumental to the people within this context at, the t- at that time. It should be to us as well. Uh, it's been 2,000 years now, right? Over 2,000 years. And some of us would go, I just wish God would show up and talk to me right now. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, let's just be honest, I mean, have you ever sat there and you go, well, I'm supposed to pray, so I'm going to have some conversation with God, and then you start talking and you go, okay, uh, you, you know, you're supposed to be, can, can we talk like that here? You know, you're supposed to be real, can you just speak to me? Can you speak to me, God? I could just hear your voice. I could just know. That you were indeed real. If you would just speak to me. That would be, that would be great. And it's been 2,000 years. And we may get the idea. Or we may think sometimes. That God has done the same thing. God's not speaking anymore. Because I don't know that I've heard him. But hold on. Okay. Hold on. In Hebrews 12. You don't have to flip over there. Uh, the, the person. We don't believe it was Paul that wrote Hebrews. But. And we went through this a few weeks ago. But Hebrews 12, 22 through 25, the writer says that with Jesus coming, and this is the words, he spoke a better word. Do you get this? The coming of Christ speaks a better word. It speaks into the silence. His coming is saying something, and it says a better word. It speaks more than anything else that could be said. And so the 400 years, and maybe you today, 2,000 years and more, and you haven't heard God in your life, well, God is speaking a better word right now through the birth of his son to you. It couldn't be said any louder. He sends his own son to the earth. And that's a better word than any word that we could ever hear from God. And uh, then... This is tagged in Hebrews 12, 22 through 25. But see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. So it's not that there's silence anymore for God, from God. It's that, that we just are not listening sometimes. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Speaks what? Speaks a better word. The better word is the coming of Christ to us. That is the better word. There is no word that we need to hear any more importantly than Christ has come. Christ has come to earth. So silent night, holy night, with the dawn of redeeming grace. And indeed, that's exactly what it was with the coming of Jesus. And uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few seconds here and we're going to be quiet. Church is loud a lot of times, isn't it? We're loud, but we need moments of silence.
silent night, silent morning, where we can actually hear if God wants to speak. So we're just going to take a second. I'm going to ask you to open up the ears of your heart. And let's see if you sense the presence of God and if you hear him speaking to you this morning. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, quiet our hearts when we need to be quieted so that we can indeed hear your voice, sense your presence. So the silence of God has ended. And your second feeling is this, the silence of loneliness has ended. The silence of loneliness has ended. Paul says that that we might receive adoption and... uh, that's such a, I'm going to have to unpack this for you. Matter of fact, let me, let me read a portion. I know I have to do this. Um, I, get, I get a little hyper when I study. <laughs> I get so excited about things that I didn't know before. And so uh, then when I come in here on Sundays, I was like, I can't not say this. You know, it's like, come on. So uh, in, in our chapter today, Galatians He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are now, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Uh, God speaks a better word through Jesus, and in Jesus is this sense of being adopted by God. Now, when he says sonship, I, when I first wrote this, I put in brackets daughtership. Because I, I know, because over, and if you look on your page, which would be uh, 1,862 in your Bible, uh, if you just look a few verses earlier, it says there's no Jew nor Greek nor Gentile, male nor female, right before he says this, right? So what is Paul getting at in this passage? What is he talking about in this passage? Because he just said that in Christ, everyone is just as valuable as the next one. What is he making reference to? Well, he's making reference to something that the Jewish people were, knew very well. And that is that the son, this, this comment by Paul about sonship has nothing to do with machismo or maleness, actually. It has to do with the, with the uh, wonderful story of a son who uh, inherits all that his father gives him at some por- point in his life. Sometimes around 20, something like that, 25 years of age. Up to that point, 
if you were a child, you had not a, you know, inherited what was yours yet. You were a little more than a slave. You had to do everything that your father told you to do. You didn't get anything that the father didn't give you. And that was it. But when you became an heir, when you received sonship, you got it all. You got every bit of it. And so what Paul's talking about here, has, it doesn't have to do with just the males get this. He's speaking to his culture, out of his culture, because the people in Galatia would know this. They would go, we know what sonship means. We know that means that you get everything that the Father has. That now it's been given to you. So do you get this? So I changed it back to stay true to the Scripture because we just have to take the story. So, but it has nothing to do with, you know, male or female. It has everything to do with belonging to Christ. But if we don't see the terms in the context that they're placed in, we don't, we don't get the value. It doesn't have the oomph to it. And so the Jewish people would read this and they would go, I know every bit of that. I remember when I got my inheritance from my dad. I remember this. And of course, like I said, just a few verses earlier, Paul says, well, it's for all of us. Jew, Gentile, Greek, male, female. It's for all of us. But it's the sonship thing. God has now not kept you as a little child, but through the coming of his son at the right time, I am making you an heir. I am giving you everything I have. And there is nothing more lonelier than feeling like you're the only person on the earth who has no one that's for you, no one that stands behind you, no one that has, uh, is thinking about your future, and no one cares for you. That is a very lonely place to be, as some of us can attest to. Well, the coming of, the coming of Christ at just the right moment comes and says, those days are over because you're not a child anymore. You have sonship. You have, through the coming of Christ, I'm giving you everything I have. And, of course, he mentions the Holy Spirit in this passage, and we'll get to that in just a second. You guys getting this? Sonship, inheritance. Paul's trying to say, here it is. You're being adopted. And I, I always thought that this is how God wants to make sure that we know how much we're his. We are born again, and we're adopted. What do you think about your parents do that? You know, like, you were born to them, and they go, we're just going to make sure you know how much we love you. We're going to adopt you, too. They go down to the courthouse and, and you just, you know, you fill out the forms. You're like, but I belong to you already. Yeah, but we're just going to adopt you. You know, you're not going anywhere. You're ours. Well, that's, that's kind of it. It's, that's what happens in Christ in the perfect timing of God as he comes to earth at just the right time. In order to reassure us and give us and make us sons and daughters of his kingdom. He brings us home. And coming home and being given what the Father has to give us allows us to deal with the loneliness that we have. And a lot of us have it at Christmas time. We're missing people or we're missing family. Or, and we're like, uh, you know, I'd sure like to know God was here right now. What is one of Jesus' names? Emmanuel, right? God is with us. In the coming of Christ, Emmanuel, God is with us. And so, uh, you know, the silence of loneliness has ended. God is speaking and you know, when he says, Abba, Father, uh, one of the things about that beautiful term is it's that, and I think it's Emma, which is mama in, uh, in Aramaic, was the, the two words that a uh, baby would learn right off the bat would be Abba for daddy and Emma, you know, for mama in Aramaic. And so when the Jewish people taught their kids to say this, you know, Paul has carried this right along 
right into our relationship with God. Jesus called his father Abba, right? Matthew and Luke. And so now, because we are heirs, because we have sonship, we have been born unto him, and we have been adopted by him, we too can call him Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. And the early Christians, that was a huge thing for them. That is something that they said among their gatherings, that they would call uh, God Abba and pray to Abba because it, it engendered this uh, very close relationship. Now, here's another part of Abba, too. It, it's, uh, it also engenders, just like the Jewish father, uh, a place of authority. So it's that he loves and protects you, but he is also, he's also the God of all authority. And, uh, and so there's this sense of protection with him in all. Do you get this? It's like a, a pastor that I know said that God is kind of like, like your dad when you're growing up. If you had a dad that was just very loving, but he was also kind of scary. <laughs> you know, like he was big. Like you'd be sitting on the side. You'd be playing, you know, football or something when you're a kid, you know, and your dad would be there and he would grab you up in your arms or you hoped he would. And, and, and at the same time, you know that, uh, you know that uh, he was strong and you knew that he was a presence and you knew that he would protect you and you knew that uh, he would go to bat for you. And so there's this sense in the word Abba of not just daddy, sweet prattlings of a, as uh, Scott McKnight, the theologian says, the sweet prattlings of a child, but it is also the respect and the admiration of God the Father as well, but also that relationship of daddy-father. That's what we get as heirs. And so the loneliness of not having, you know, someone there for you has ended. That silence. God is speaking a better word in the birth of Christ to you and to me. Now, Joseph Moore, I think we got a picture of him up here. The the guy who wrote the words. There he is. Nice looking guy, isn't he? Joseph Moore, the guy who had this phrase run through his mind. Uh, I want you to, to think about this for a moment of what his life was like. First, he had this terrible situation in his church that he had to deal with, and he navigated it. But, but listen to this. He was born to, this is in the 1800s, early 1800s. He was born to an unwed mother. His father left he and his mother before he was ever born. She was pregnant with him. He was raised by his mom in a very small apartment, and she knitted for a living to eke out enough money to be able to feed the both of them. Plus, she worked very hard to see that he could get an education. Megan, he showed a love for music early on, and so she eventually, uh, there was a foster dad for Joseph, and he worked at the church and, and so brought him along. But, but Joseph Moore's life was not one of just, you know, easygoing and here he is. He writes such a, such a song. Um, the guy who wrote the music, Franz Gruber. Franz Gruber was the fifth of six children of linen weavers. That's how they made their living. He became a church organist, a caretaker. In those days, school teacher and church organist went together. <laughs> I mean, if you were going to be the organist, you were going to be a school teacher. And it just it went together. And uh, so he became a teacher, and he married a former school teacher. They had two children, both of which died at an early age. Then his first wife died. Then he remarried and had ten children, of which only four lived. 
Then he remarried. Then his wife died. Second wife died. And then his third, he married his third wife. These are the people who bring us these songs. We think, of, you know, sitting around a nice fire with the perfect family and no pain. But that's not what this is like. The loneliness. God sees the loneliness. He sees what people go through. And yet he still is there. To make us an heir of all that he has for us. And many times out of our brokenness comes some of the most beautiful music that anyone will ever hear. And such it is for this song, Silent Night, Holy Night. Your last fill-in is this, and that is that the silence of fear has ended. The silence of fear has ended. What are you most scared of? For many of us, it might be the future. You know, or the lack of ever how much future is out there. You know, what's it going to be like? And it can be slavery. It can be slavery to us. And uh, with the coming of Christ, the coming of Emmanuel, God is with us. And so you are no longer a slave, but God's child, God's son. And since you are his child's son, the sonship, God has made you also an heir. That means... You are free to enjoy the life that God has given you from now right on through eternity. Did you, do you realize that you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, that your eternal life started the moment you came to him? Do you know that? No, I, I know these, these things are going to, you know, they're going to they're drop eventually. But you began your life in Christ. You began it. That's why Jesus says, pray thy kingdom come on the earth that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we begin our walk with God now. Like everything that you do now, every word you speak, every gesture of kindness, every time you meet someone's need is pointing toward the future when all those needs will be met in the kingdom to come. I believe that most of our vocations, the things that we love, maybe the things you don't have time for, but your heart, you want to do so much in the kingdom to come as you learn now, you're going to do more of it. More of it and more of it. So we begin now. Once we start following Jesus, we begin the life of eternity now. How will we treat one another in the kingdom to come? How are we going to get along with each other? Will we practice right now? We begin right now. And I was never told that when I became a Christian. It was like sign the card and go back to your miserable life. You know, it's, I mean, I wasn't told that. It's like, why well, a card? You know. And, and go back. No, it wasn't that, look, now you're an heir. Now you really get to hear from your creator what his plans for you are now. And they begin now, not later. It's not hold the fort till God comes. No. It's like your kingdom come now in this place in my life. Teach me, Lord, how to be all that you've created me to be. I don't have to fear that because God has a calling on all of us. To be the men and the women and the children that God wants us to be. We are heirs of his kingdom. You know, when a, when a person be, inherits the kingdom, they are free to enjoy it. Right? Free. There's no bondage or fear in that. They're able to run. They don't fear the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and releases that in us and cries. Romans tells us, Abba, Father, from our heart to the Father. And we can trust the Holy Spirit to lead us into this life as we see his rule and his reign come now, not later. Now. That is what Christmas is saying to us. 
is that this is a better word spoken to all of us right now. The silence has ended. And in Jesus, we get the best news, the good news, that God has come to earth to redeem his own, to love them, to make them part of his family, and to give them the inheritance that he always had for them. That is the joy and the celebration of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I want to ask you guys if we're praying, are you an heir? Are you an heir? Have you responded to that call from God? Have you heard the the voice of the God who loves you, who cares for you, who sent his son to die for you? To let you know that life begins now and goes on for eternity from this moment on. Have you become an heir? A son, a daughter. Part of that is to to be freed from our fears and our loneliness. And so, Lord, I, I pray now that today there will be those who will say yes to you. Yes to you. And I'd like to pray for you. And if this is the day that you're saying yes to Christ, because there needs to be an intentional moment. There needs to be a moment when you go, I am going to start following Jesus. If this is your day, I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand up and say, this is my day. I'm going to start my walk today. And just let me know. Say, Tim, that's me. Just let me know. I want to pray for you. Now, how many of you would say, yeah, Christmas is a lonely time for me? Would you be so honest to let me know? Yes. 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 It's okay. You're in a good place. You know, we. it's not like we ever totally get free from things, is it? It's like we have to run back to, to our inheritance and run back to God, to Jesus, and say, Lord, help me. This is, I'm not feeling it right now. Help me. So, Lord, I pray through your presence for those who are, are hurting, who are lonely, that in the silence of the moment, they will hear this better word being spoken to them. Emmanuel, God is with you. God is with you. And his people are with you. We are together in this. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church. Thank you.